Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 303, for October 30th, 2023. It's a lot of threes. Luckily, we're not in Season 3 yet. Tonight, we're going to discuss Constantine 2 has an update that's announced, the Executive Order on AI, a Skellington figurine has been announced, those fruit pouches were oddly heavy. The Color of Hydrogen, the botched original Dune movie caused a classic. A scale for educational technologies. An amazing airport, but still flying sucks. Aging Japanese farmers get a tech solution. And would you drink GMO beer? Next. Hello, hello, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the sentient AI, well, the visualizer for it. How are you doing? Do you want to say hi? I'm doing great. Too late. Um, so, we're going to get it. No, just kidding. <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. <laughs> High pressure. <laughs> I must have closure. <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. I must say it. Don't take it away from me. I'm air-gapped from the rest of the world. Give me that. Well, sorry if I stepped on your lines. Good to see you, though. So, today is... Overall, if my addition is right and I've accounted for the days where I missed last, well, we missed last year where um, we were not available to do the show. We didn't miss a whole year, though. We didn't miss a whole year. No, no, no. We missed a couple of episodes. So even though today is episode six, six, uh, I think it's eight today. In the grand scheme of things, sorry, it's not episode, it's day 668 since we started, because we started January 1st, 2022. Tomorrow, on Halloween, is going to be episode 666. You know, that was a lot of uh, maneuvering to make that happen for the last two years. Yeah, I, I worked really hard to just not show up for a couple of episodes due to holidays. So we will see if uh, the same thing happens this year. We're planning on making up for it by doing extra shows um, to account for the missing two days. But we'll do it within that 24 hours. So like on the holiday days we will do the 24 hours of the holiday day and then the next day instead of like just coming up with some news we'll focus on the news for those 24 hours just like every other day hometown daily is a daily news show um, with that in mind i have some good news apparently i'm no longer um getting well i'm <laughs> Should I announce this yet? No, I'll wait. I'll wait. We'll see what happens. But anyway, let's get into today's articles. We've 
set up all these pins. Let's knock them down. So the very first article today is in the continuity report. And that's actually something that's in movie and TV production. The continuity report is all about aligning things on the set so that when they transition to some other angle or they reset the scene, everything is, you know, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the ducks are there, etc. Everything is perfect, right? Well, sometimes the continuity report, eh, it's not, it's a general guideline. And the show that will come of the continuity report will focus on that um, while still engaging in general discussion about the news revolving around movies and TV. Well, I absolutely love Constantine. Um, I am hoping that a Constantine two comes into existence, but according to the DC sequels director, Constantine two update was announced in the last 24 hours or so. The status of Constantine two has been up in the air, but according to the director, Francis Lawrence, the film remains very much in development despite some hangups. Speaking to GameSpot, Lawrence, who directed the original film and went on to direct the Hunger Games franchise, if that's any clue about directorial chops, said that the WGA strike and some other hurdles held up development of the film, but noted that he has in meetings with star Keanu Reeves and filmmaker Akiva Goldsman about the project. I really hope that the world building around Constantine uh, persists and grows and gets bigger. Uh, there's so much there in the supernatural fantastical um, that I hope and if I recall correctly, Constantine is actually, I think they're in the MCU. So, mm, let me see. I don't know about that piece yet, but I just had to look up when it was out because I knew it had been quite a while and it's almost been 20 years. It's 2005. Goodness. Great. Okay. Um, AI, Which is a long time to wait for a sequel. You, you can't rip the bandaid off like that. You can't. <laughs> You can't just plop out. It's been two decades. Oh, man. This is a, the, the protagonist from the comic book series Hellblazer. Yeah. Yeah. Constantine. John Constantine. Um, basically, he fights demons. And in the original Constantine, um, it's really interesting because the way that the movie plays out, you think that it's it's really drawn out. The whole thing is drawn out, but you don't get bored. You don't get tired of it. There isn't any really, you don't really get, it says DC sequels director, but I, I swear Constantine is like in well, the that was same a Marvel comic. Yeah. So I don't, uh, okay. Well, anyway, um, so it says here, so Constantine to, oh, wait, 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 before I get too far, Anthony Nash over at comingsoon.net put this article together. Um, and again, uh, my bias, I, I'm pretty obvious about my bias and I absolutely dig Keanu Reeves as John Constantine. If anybody can play Constantine, it's Keanu Reeves. 
So at any rate, um, so Constantine II got obviously held up by the writer's strike. We had hoped to jump through a bunch of hurdles to get control of the character again because other people had control of the Vertigo stuff. We have control, Keanu and Akiva, Gold, well, Keanu Reeves and Akiva Goldsman and the director have been in meetings and have been hashing out what they think the story is going to be. And there's more things, more meetings um, that have to happen. The script has been written, but really hoping that we get to do Constantine too. What? Oh, has the to be written. The script has to be written. Yeah, the script has to be written. Sorry. And make it a real rated R version of it. So they want to push it up to 11. So uh, an R version of it would probably be a little bit, not a little bit, a lot more gory than it was. It was kind of abstracted gore. So what do you know about Constantine II? Next to nothing. So I'm not going to get into all of this. Um, mainly because the, I don't want to hype up something that doesn't really truly exist um, in any context. And without the script, being finished, there isn't really much more to it. So, um, if you've never seen Constantine, the original, go back, watch it. Uh, you will not regret it. Um, but it is a supernatural, um, movie. So let me see something real quick. I have, I, I need closure. So yeah, as far as I know, See, it says John Constantine is a fictional character who appears in American comic books published by DC Comics. But for the life of me, I thought. That's not what I found. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look into it. Um, and because really, if and I'm just going to I'm going to move on from this, but uh, I'll, I'll do some more due diligence. Um, yeah, let, let me just because I, I, I I'm just confused at this point. So let's keep going. Um, so the next article is over in the uh, mobile channel, and this is probably the one time where some political uh, alignment might fall in. And this is because Biden signs executive order on artificial intelligence. And at the time this was aggregated, you could have watched it live. Um, but <clears throat> what ended up happening was over at the Hill. Um, this was a, just a link and a little tease as to what was going on. The order is focused on seizing on the emerging technology and managing its risks and includes several new actions that focus on areas like safety, privacy, working, uh, privacy, uh, protecting workers and protecting innovation. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to post both of these links into the show notes. Um, that link will take you over to the Hill, but I'm going to also post the whitehouse.gov link um, just so you can go to what. So you're going to see the actual executive order. The exact. Yeah, the the actual order. Um, and we're going to go through that really quick. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, obviously, but. Um, it's going to require that developers of the most powerful AI systems share their safety test results and other critical information with the U.S. government, which may or may not actually prove effective. Develop standards, tools, and tests to help ensure that AI systems are safe, secure, and trustworthy. 
protect against the risks of using AI to engineer dangerous biological materials. The people who are doing this, by the way, are who are enforcing this, aren't binding anybody else. So, you know, I guess lead by aspiration because there are going to be other countries that are using AI specifically for the creation of dangerous biological materials. Um, protect Americans from AI-enabled fraud and deception by establishing standards and best practices for detecting AI-generated content and authenticating official content. Good luck with that. Um, establishing an advanced cybersecurity program to develop AI tools to find and fix vulnerabilities in critical infrastructure. This is the public shot across the bow of any cybersecurity analyst. Order the development of a national security memorandum that directs further actions on AI and security. So going to point the federal government at AI and AI is going to become yet another tool, another arrow in the quiver of national security. I think um, this came out relatively quickly because it's not that AI is new, but AI becoming known to the the mass population is pretty new. To this caliber, I, I agree. And it seems like it's pretty holistic. I went through and looked at some of this, but it talks about uh, protecting privacy, Americans' privacy, talks about advancing equity and civil rights. Um, by giving a framework and and other um, elements to be cognizant of um, it says standing up for consumers patients and students so there's a whole there's a whole lot of ai that's going through uh, parsing information in mass and so that's actually kind of tainting the data set for patients and students and consumers um, where you end up with disparate treatment depending on whatever is being aggregated instead of what is provided by uh, persons. But the problem there is <laughs> the reason why things are the way they are is because people abuse. Um, and, and then the business or government or person abuses back. It's almost like we're trying it's a uh, tug of war between me maximizing my benefit and somebody maximizing their profit. So unfortunately, particularly in healthcare and being a student, you don't have much bargaining power. Um, and consumers, the only thing that they have is to either publicly protest or speak with their wallet. Um, and depending on which side of the fence you're on, you're laughing at the other people that are doing whatever it is they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see what this actually shakes out to be supporting workers, promoting innovation and competition, advancing American leadership ab uh, abroad, um, ensuring responsibility and effective government use of AI. And somewhere in a lab somewhere, there is somebody that's working for the government that's pushing the limits of AI for a particular cause, whatever it might be what that might be. Yeah, who knows? Um, and that is the quick rundown of this, but you can definitely follow the links that are in the show notes and uh, check out the executive order on safe 
secure and trustworthy artificial intelligence. In before somebody says artificial intelligence is using is being used to dot dot dot. There's going to be so many things <laughs> that are going to oh, now be blamed on artificial intelligence. Open the floodgates. <laughs> yeah. Deep fakes are going to be, you know, orange is the new black kind of thing. <laughs> AI is the reason I didn't get my order correct at McDonald's or whatever. Yep. AI ate my homework. Um, AI overthrew the election. AI uh, stole AI my car. AI into my pet dog. I don't know. Yeah. A- AI is the reason my bird won't be quiet because it's been tapped into a large language model and taught nothing but bad words. I may or may not have done that. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. The next article is over in the continuity report as well. The Nightmare Before Christmas 30th anniversary Jack Skellington figurine has been announced. Yet again, another one of those years where you sit there and go, wait, 30? (laughs) How is that possible? So um, the company uh, NECA or NECA has revealed a Jack Skellington figurine for the Nightmare Before Christmas's 30th anniversary. It's a a nine inch figurine, fully posable and wears the familiar pinstripe suit. And uh, it's in celebration of the 30th anniversary of Disney's Tim Burton's, which is, how does that, what is the steakhouse? Chris? Chris, Chris steakhouse yeah there's others that are like that now um really interesting so it's tim burton's disney's tim burton's the nightmare before christmas jack skellington articulated figure so let's go take a look at it it's over at comingsoon.net is where we got the story from neil bolt is the author there's the there's the picture so but that's the character right or is that the actual i think that's the actual I think that's the figurine. So, see? Yeah. It looked I mean, like it is, that was from the movie. <laughs> it is a picture, but <laughs> I think they just put it on a backdrop. Like, that's the actual. That's just the figurine. I guess it stands up on its own pretty well. I would be surprised because it's pretty skinny. So, yeah, it doesn't it look little, like it would hold itself. Yeah, big old BB head, right? It's going to fall over. But I guess if you balance it right rock on rock kind of thing so but it has a little stand back here that you can put his feet into i'm sure widely considered to be one of the most beloved christmas movies ever made tim burton's 1993 stop motion animated movie the nightmare before christmas tells the magical tale of jack skellington the king of halloween town who has grown bored with his life until one day he discovers the world of christmas and proceeds to put his very own stamp on the season with unfortunate results it's imbued with the quintessential Tim Burton eccentricity. By the way, apparently, my understanding is that they will never make another Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, and that's really unfortunate because there were other seasons in the Grove of Trees that led to other places um, where, um, what is it? Lock, Shock, and Barrel went to the other places. I think it was, right? Those three that went to try and get Santa Claus. Then they brought somebody, the wrong person back. Like the Easter Bunny. 
I, I, I kind of do. Time for a rewatch because I don't remember the characters. Yeah, I agree. So Jack T- Skellington uh, can be purchased for thirty-five bucks, pre-ordered via the NECA store, which you can access if you go to the link that's in chat and eventually in the show notes. Again, I'll try to get it out tonight. I did yesterday. Um, it depends on if I can get all the work done. Um, the mayoral day doesn't necessarily allow me. Anyway, um, pretty cool. Uh, I don't normally buy figurines, uh, but that would be cool to put back there. Uh, what y'all can't see is um, there's T-track between the the boards that are back there. That Those are sound panels um, that are holding up the lights. And um, I can actually put shelves, attach shelves and stuff back there. So I've got a Millennium Falcon that I'm thinking about putting up there. I've got other things that robots and whatnot. Um, maybe Jack Skellington will. I dig Jack Skellington. It's a fun story. Anyway, let's go on. Did you want to add anything? No, I don't have anything else. Gotcha. So the next article is over on the Mobile channel. So if you have been giving um, kids, please don't hand these out for Halloween this year. The Wanabana or I guess, yeah, Wanabana. I'm not sure if that's how to pronounce it. But anyway, if you've been uh, giving these fruit puree pouches to anybody, stop. Stop immediately. Um, I'm going to go straight on over to the source. So uh, this is... Um, the hill.com's article Rodney Overton is the author fruit puree pouches recalled after elevated lead levels found in North Carolina children according to the FDA as part of the investigation NCDHHS analyzed multiple lots of the product detecting extremely high concentrations of lead unfreaking believable I mean, that's just horrendous. It's one thing that somebody comes into contact with lead, but this is a food for young kids. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the full scope is. So maybe in the article, it'll, it'll describe it a little better, but, um, the U S food and drug administration released an advisory warning consumers not to buy or give Wanabana, uh, apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches, which is like, the global favorite for fruit puree. Um, Don't give it to toddlers or young children, actually anybody, because elevated lead levels, it um, crosses the brain blood barrier and is, you can't get rid of it. It's not something that it it attaches to your, to, to, to you as a human. So if you eat it or children eat it, it actually leads eventually to uh, degraded cognitive abilities. So it's very dangerous. Um, the announcement came after an investigation by the FDA, North Carolina health officials, local health departments, and the North Carolina department of agriculture and consumer services. This business. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Um, all of it should, I hope that they're doing a forensic analysis to locate what the true source is. Um, so they had a spike in child um 
like lead Health. exposure, I think. And so yeah. they figured out that this might have been the common source. Yeah. So because I, I did read a little bit about this topic. Yeah. I, uh, a child under six who has two consecutive blood test results greater than or equal to five micrograms per deciliter, the CDC's reference value is 3.5 micrograms per deciliter, is considered to have an elevated lead level and is eligible for a home investigation by the North Carolina <clears throat> health officials to identify the source of the lead hazard. During several such investigations recently, authorities determined that Wanabana a brand of apple cinnamon puree pouches was a likely source of lead hazard. So they say likely source, but they're announcing stop. So I think it's a little they're bit. They're not requiring stop. This is unsettling. Uh, it's almost like the Chipotle thing where they don't know the true source of the. Um, yeah, but they know that it is it, right? Like, and right. that might be the same issue here. I suppose. So to me, um, you don't want to mess around with things like lead and children. Yeah, definitely. So if you know anybody who is who has a toddler or young child, or for whatever reason uh, consumes cinnamon pouches, uh, uh, applesauce cinnamon pouches. Uh, <laughs> okay, Marwat does which this. adults very well could. <laughs> Marwat does this. Um, because one of these can go into a kid's lunch or you can, because it's a safe packet shelf stable, you can throw it into your own lunch. So in the mayoral mansion, my lunch might consist of having that as a dessert snack. Um, it's uh, perfectly normal. But unfortunately, now if you know anybody who might have this in their pantry, please contact them. Um, because it does have long-term effects that may not manifest immediately, um, but leads to quite a few issues. So it says like abdominal pain, colic, vomiting, anemia, um, but it actually goes beyond that. So hopefully everybody will be okay. Because they're not actually talking about... Um, but And now I want to know the full scope. How far out of North Carolina does this company actually reach? Hmm. All right. Well, there's not much else that we can talk about with this. So let's keep on going. Um, but however, if you are in chat and you have questions, feel free to throw them in chat. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. And the article starts out with a question. What is white hydrogen? Scientists say the clean energy gas could save the world. So the odd thing about this is the bigger question here is what the heck is white hydrogen? But uh, uh, apparently white hydrogen is naturally occurring hydrogen. <laughs> um, and there's apparently an, a various sources that have become known. Um, but there's also green and gray hydrogen, but those are manufactured hydrogen. Um, white hydrogen is the naturally occurring source. So hydrogen power is an exciting form of clean energy, but hydrogen typically needed to be produced in a lab during energy intensive methods. White hydrogen, a newly identified hydrogen source could eliminate the need for lab production. But that's actually just a natural resource that's gonna have its limits in natural production. So 
let's not sit there and you know drain that source like we're doing with oil and then when we're leaning on it so hard there's various factions that are sitting there going oh you supply and demand yeah okay oh you need this oh okay yeah let me jack uh, up the price you know yes exactly so katie hawkinson is the author oh by the way um mkbhd the yes tech youtuber um just did uh a like a one-year review on the tesla tesla uh, solar uh, shingles on his roof and i didn't watch the whole thing i didn't have time but he said that he hasn't paid for anything electrical in his house including his car for a year since the installation of the solar shingles um, right, but i guess the question is how much did the installation cost right was it worth that's it was still really great yeah the actual question yeah so um, I haven't watched the rest of it, but I've watched about halfway through. I'm going to watch the rest of it. But if you are looking for a clean energy source, solar is where it's at. As long as you don't peel back too many layers of the onion and find out that lithium in car batteries and the material in uh, solar shingles comes from extraordinarily far away places where, you know, the harm that's being done in the local communities there is abstracted away from you know your purchase here domestically um so don't do that if you're if you want to be you know au natural then you're gonna have to put up a wind generator uh on the side of your house and get your power from that because really and hope that's, that you have lots of wind and hope that you have lots of wind yeah naturally um, hey, I want to mention something about the Wanabana. Um, I sure. looked it up and it's actually sold nationally and the FDA is addressing all uh, lot numbers, etc. Like it's not limited to a batch and it's also sold at major retailers, including Amazon, Sam's Club, and I think Dollar Tree was the other. Yeah, Interesting. So, I mean, it has a pretty wide footprint potentially. Yeah, I mean, they talked about some providers uh, we had moved on to another article but i with that news let's go back for a second so they talked about um what sam's club amazon dollar tree um, but they don't provide a link overtly it says released an advisory so let me grab that link and throw yeah, I that, say, in, the chat that well. in the chat that's probably what i was looking at i got there separately but i think it's the same information yeah so that's in the chat now and i'll include it in the show notes um because after 60 days the vod is gone but uh, i i also um there are people in, in youtube and the podcast so it's everywhere um so again just be careful and go and check your pantry you may think that you have a different brand but it's still produced by wannabama um okay so let's go over to the source of this uh, white hydrogen article scientists say that clean energy gas could save the world katie hawkinson over at businessinsider.com put the article together um they have a like a summary a lot of websites are starting to do this Um, hydrogen power is an exciting form of clean energy i agree i think that hybrid hydrogen electric um which is funny if you say hydroelectric that's not quite right because then you would have to have an ocean sitting in your car 
Um, but hydrogen electric hybrid vehicles, um, I think really are, I think they're better than pure electric. Um, but hydrogen typically needed to be produced in a lab using energy intensive methods. That's true. Um, white hydrogen, a newly identified hydrogen source could eliminate the need for lab production. Um, two scientists in France have discovered what they may have known as the, uh, may have come to be known as the largest deposit of a clean energy resource that could be the saving grace of mitigating climate change. Hydrogen. Um, so, uh, Jacques Perronon and Philippe de Donato, um, directors of research at France's National Center for Scientific Research, found a deposit between 6 million and 250 million metric tons of white hydrogen, a naturally occurring hydrogen gas. You still got to extract it, still got to contain it, still got to port it. So, infrastructure will have to be built that can support it and manage it. White hydrogen is relatively new to scientists. A study in 2018 that analyzed a well in Mali uh, producing 98% hydrogen gas brought the resource to the attention of the scientific community. So already you're going to have to contend with a far-flung place, the political climate, the cultural climate. Um, you know, nowadays rolling into some country and going hey we're going to take your natural resources regardless of how long the alliance has been in place or you know the uh, overtaking of the domestic uh the what was what would be the proper term the um the aboriginal or original peoples of the country right you roll in there like a conquistador and take it over gone are those days where you can do this kind of stuff with people not knowing about it, not being cognizant of what's going on and, and not um, getting lambasted by it and damn straight. That's not how it should be. So you can't roll into Mali and go, Hey, I'm going to take all of your <laughs> hydrogen gas. It's what they do. A lot of com companies do this. They go into um, South America they find some group of peoples that have control over land and they quote unquote buy it, take all of the wood, turn it into farmland. And then they're, they become bound to that plot of land and farming. And it isn't biocompatible with forestry. So it doesn't come back. It has to be replanted and, and that takes hundreds of years. So, right. And then, of course, you lose the, um, there's not necessarily the same quality from a bio standpoint that it was original. Yeah. And the sustainability is gone because you have to plant crops to make a living and to produce food. Whereas in stasis, they would have been fine with everything being the way it was. Could it increase their life, quality of life? Yeah, that's subjective. But if you start taking the resource from Molly, at some point that resource is going to run out and then back to whatever they were before the you know well, that's resource exactly it. and what's the condition post once you've stripped it of all of that resource yeah I, I just don't think that it's a holistic understanding and the ramifications 
are set aside in lieu of profits, short-term profits. Well, now researchers across the globe are interested in white hydrogen. It could help us get to speed on saving the world from climate crisis. Geochemist. I'm going to try it. Vyacheslav Zagonic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but for whatever reason, I always go, I bet you that they just say their name is Bob Smith. Um, it could be the equivalent, you know, from their name is so popular, you know, that it's the American equivalent of Bob Smith. So what is white hydrogen? It's just naturally occurring hydrogen. Um, they talk about the different colors in this article. I, I've talked about this before, um, not white hydrogen versus green or gray or whatever, um, but different types of hydrogen, the costs that are involved, all of the infrastructure that's necessary, because I think that it's the best way to go. Um, along with swappable batteries, um, I think that's the superior way instead of all of this other infrastructure. <clears throat> because it doesn't require any of the energy intensive processes, climate experts say white hydrogen could be our saving grace. I think it's an intermediate step. We'll eventually run out of it, just like oil. Although I know people who have been touting peak energy, peak oil for 35 years, um, actually strike that 40 years. And it still has, uh, they're still punching out more and more and more and we're discovering other locations um anyway so until it becomes cost ineffective it it's so pricey that people aren't going to pay for it they're going to keep using oil they're going to drive oil i was going to say into the ground but they're going to suck all of it out of the ground Anyway, several startups are already exploring how to commercialize white hydrogen. Yeah, turn it into hybrid. Hydrogen powered EVs. And um, I mean, that would be great. That would but be great. we also need to figure out how we can more, how we can spread some of the hydrogen capture around, I guess is one way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Let's keep on going. Oh, you know what? I don't think <laughs> I did the transition, but I don't think I threw the article into the chat. Sorry about that. If you are in chat, thanks for sticking around. Um, this next article. Do, do, do one second. Let me make sure that I'm on the right track. There we go. So the next article is also over in the continuity report. The first Dune movie failure secretly spawned another sci-fi classic despite its massive failure the first attempt at adapting frank herbert's dune to the big screen made it possible for one of the most iconic science fiction films to come out you want to take a stab at what that might be let's put the ai oh, on the spot i bet it's um i bet it's star wars nope i thought Francisco, that was a great guess it is it is a great it's a good try um but whiff just kidding. I, I, I shouldn't be that rude <laughs> about <okay>. it. <laughs> um, so it says, uh, although Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, their adaptation of Dune is known for its failure. It led to the release of one of the most memorable sci-fi movies ever. Francisco Bacagalupo is the author. 
And, Wait, before uh, you scroll, do you know what it is? Yes. But you don't have to, I figured you did. You yeah. don't need to announce it before the article does. But. So uh, I like every iteration of Dune, by the way. Um, there have been several, um, including um, a, like a five-part mini thing on uh, what was sci-fi at the time, I think. Um, I, but I like all of them. It's Alien. So if you don't, if you've never seen Alien, we should watch it. Um, so Dan O'Banion, who worked on Jodorowsky's Dune, used the opportunity to develop a different script, which became Alien. Alien drew inspiration from talents involved in Jodorowsky's Dune, including H.R. Giger, H.R. Giger, uh, Chris Foss, resulting in visual similarities between the two films. Although, um, yeah, I guess some of the barely industrial aspects of it. Um, Dune was a, a different type of sci-fi. It had more like regal elements because it was um, kind of like a king and a whole bunch of um, like princes that were running their own fiefdoms and stuff. It was it's a pretty neat world building. So despite its massive failure, the first attempt at adapting Frank Herbert's Dune to the big screen made it possible for one of the most iconic science fiction films to come out. Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune promised to be one of the most ambitious and artistic sci-fi films ever filmed movies ever filmed. Jodorowsky, a director with very powerful artistic vision had gathered a dream team to make a 10 hour long film. However, it was Why one of the biggest. Why was that a good idea? <laughs> hey, sometimes you have to tell the whole story. Um, and Dune is a huge story, ultimately. Um, it's more than one book, uh, ultimately. Um, and now it's actually expanded to pre and post Dune uh, books from Frank Herbert. His son took over along with another compatriot. So it says, however, it was one of the biggest failures in cinema history as it never actually got made. Um, so in 1974, French producer Michael Sato, Sato, I think his name is, um, reached out to Alex and Alejandro Jodorowsky and asked him to uh, direct an adaptation of the novel Dune. Driven by his extravagant and artistic personality, Jodorowsky's vision was more than ambitious. So it never actually got made, but it led to Alien, dun, dun, dun. which is bigger than when you first start watching it you're like eh you know this is going to be a fun sci-fi flick um, but it has some great personality if you've never watched alien you really do need to <coughs> pardon me i would shy away from some of the other stuff uh, um at least my recommendation is watch alien and aliens um but i would I don't know. There's others where it's like Alien versus Predator and um, a few other movies where it, it gets a little bit too kind of goofy. If something's rolling towards you, which direction do you run? <laughs> do you run directly uh, in its rolling path? I would away? run away and maybe zigzag depending on what it was. I don't know what's happening to me. 
started coughing. Um, anyway, so my um, my cough button works, um, and it's not just momentary. I can just leave it on and cough to my heart's content. Anyway, in um, in one of the movies, I'm not even gonna get into it, but um, one of the actors runs in a perfect line away from a ship that's rolling towards them and all they had to do is kind of go that way and they would have been fine but no um at any rate however it was not the only desire to get out of ronald's couch that led to the creation of alien's original script Chusette plays a very important role as he and o'bannon um, wrote the movie together. The fact that the two of them were great scriptwriters working under the same roof was an important uh, as the initial incentive. This is why you need a writing room. Um, I think writing together is immediately creative unless you have a dynamic that allows a whole lot of trust where you can write a bunch of stuff, send it to somebody, they can punch it up or down. Um, do course corrections and and there's a kind of an intimate understanding of each other's way of thinking um, so that on the other side it doesn't sound like two disparate voices trying to merge and they're just clashing so uh, aliens being or alien being written by multiple people two people um, is quite fascinating um, so it's really cool um, there's a lot more uh, to this article, but I am going to just say, go check it out because they talk about how it failed, but I've already talked about it briefly. It influenced the, the writing, the atmosphere, um, and uh, they went from there. So go check it out. The actual source of this, by the way, is Den of Geek. So I think we'll probably start uh, looking at them as well. In the meantime, let's go on to the next article unless you want to say something else. Well, I just, I think that was not well known. Um, and I would not have thought of Alien. Um, so it's just, yeah. it's pretty cool because it seems like it's a whole genre. It's not just Alien. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest franchises that you can come up with. And when people think sci-fi, they think Alien. They think Dune. They think Star Wars. Um, but Dune sci-fi, yeah, um, switching over to, to alien is quite a juxtaposition. <laughs> there are no aliens in Dune. Like there's the sandworms, but there's no aliens, like true aliens. Right. Um, at least nothing that I know of because everything like the Tilaxu and, uh, the Bene Gesserit and all of those, they're all human. They've just used spice to go a certain route and do deep, deep, deep genetic modification and stuff like that. But they're not alien. So the next article is over in Technology Today. Psychologists create a scale for students' attitudes towards digital educational technologies. Um, this is a lot of um, discussion uh, in the domain of academia. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I grabbed the wrong, um, grabbed the, the wrong URL. There you go. So, um, this article is over at fizz.org scientific project. What? Lemonasov. 
um, put this article together again over at fizz.org and they have this graph. Um, so R-U-D-N is the university. I don't know if it's an acronym, but it's a Russian university where psychologists have developed a questionnaire to determine how students feel about digital educational technologies. Um, they looked at, I think it was 600 or 700 students. Um, and this questionnaire allowed them to resolve if people felt positive, negative, that it didn't affect them or it was difficult to answer and just barely clawing its way over um, 70% was that people felt positive about it. Um, and then there's a mishmash. Negative was 10% or under. Um, and uh, others do not affect, but that has to be some wobble in the data. I mean, that's just a little bit of deviation. Um, you're affected by it, although you may just not you care. You may not recognize say. it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then difficult to answer is when you're kind of, uh, you're caught up in it because uh, I've done these kind of questionnaires with people, um, and difficult to answer amounts to, I, I don't really know. And I don't really care about answering your questionnaire. Um, so the success of introducing digital tools into education largely depends on how the main participants in the educational process, students and teachers approach the idea. So if your teachers are poo-pooing, issuing technology, then you're going to fall victim to their bias to limit technology reaching you. So it won't be fully in effect because there is no positive messenger. There's somebody resisting this change. Questionnaires and scales are used to assess their attitude toward digitalization. Um, identify weaknesses and adjust educational policies. Rudin University psychologists proposed the first scale in Russia, developed based on three component model on social attitudes, which will help determine the attitude of university students to digital educational technology. So they basically are reiterating the same thing. This, the results were published in the journal Computers. So obviously it's more of a tech tilt than the educational tilt. Um, but they say that their colleagues have been researching. They were doing this before it was cool. Um, 2018, even before the pandemic, we developed the first version of our methodology. However, the drastic changes that occurred in the educational system in connection with the massive transition to distance learning during quarantine required significantly changing the questionnaire using a different methodology. So they pivoted a little bit. Um, but they came out with something called the attitudes towards DET scale for university students. Again, I, I thought I read that it was, yeah, just under 700 students, undergraduate and graduate students from Russian universities. Um, so to check the, vali uh, the validity and reliability of the scale, the authors use generally accepted modern statistical methods. So alpha and omega coefficients correlation factor analysis basically it levels everything and make sure that there isn't some internal bias with the questions and supposedly this is going to be a legitimate result again arguably you have cultural relativism and technical hurdles based on the population 
So I would love to have this questionnaire, which might actually be, sometimes you only get the results, you don't get the actual questionnaire, um, but it may be possible to ask these people to send the questionnaire and run a local US domestic um, assessment and see what happens. So I says, find it interesting that the gender results are pretty similar. Not that I would necessarily expect it to be otherwise, but it's just very aligned across all the categories. Yeah. So there might be some bias here in that the people who took the, this questionnaire may already be in the technical domain. Um, right. It says it contains Like 36... in the computer program or something. Correct. And, and that does nothing other than to reinforce it's an echo chamber, um, essentially. So it says it contains 36 to 45 statements agreement with which must be assessed on a scale from one to five. So, and that's actually very, very limiting. Um, the results of diagnosing attitudes towards digital educational technologies among girls and boys have significant differences. Girls on average have a better attitude toward digital education, especially on the emotional scale. So standardization and data normalization were, were carried out by Rudin psychologists separately for these two groups and they develop norms can be used to subsequent studies or in subsequent studies to assess the severity of attitudes towards DLC um, among students from different universities and areas of training. So they anticipated it, but the normalization, the weighting, the changes to the statistical analysis had to be bound within the data from that particular group, which means that this isn't something that you can uniformly apply to all societies. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I might have to um, actually get there this paper. There's also be cultural differences. Maybe, maybe not. But, And I don't think this means don't have a study like this. It's just it can't be extrapolated. So maybe they need to have similar studies in other locations or yeah. among different populations. Yeah, and I'd like to see what kind of massaging was done to the data. So it, it for this to be verified, you have to have everything that they did um, and then do it again somewhere else and verify. That's why um, papers get passed around and um, vetted. So peer reviewed before they get uh, officially published. Um, but that's OK. Um, people will start asking for the data and um, doing their own tests. So let's see what shakes out because I'm all for tech being used in academia. Um, it's really the only way to cross all kinds of barriers, um, accessibility in particular, work-life balance um, and reach. You know, not everybody can drive from where they are to a high quality academic institution. Um, even if they have the means to go there, they can't necessarily do it. So anyway, let's keep on going, folks. The next article is over in hometown daily airport. That looks like something in the future stuns internet. Um, these type of titles typically come from Newsweek. Several TikTokers were blown away by the striking airport in the latest viral post with one writing. It's so surreal. Okay. So I'm not one to really um, seek out travel, to see something firsthand. 
you know, video and, and other people doing something, I, I get just as much joy from it. But I saw this and I must go. Because <laughs> this is Where is it located? Surreal. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You'll see. So one of the most mes mesmerizing airports in the world has gone viral on TikTok. The clip was posted by Kitta Tozer or at Kitta Tozer. Uh, and has 4.3 million views since it was first shared back in early September. We're just now finding out about it. The video features scenes from Singapore's, I think it's pronounced Changi uh, Airport. It's one word, Changi. Um, okay, so I'm not sure if the, yeah, so the video says passenger surreal view from plane window leaves internet speechless. But I don't know if this, transitions into any of this because it's talking about the North Sentinel Island. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. So let's just go look at the picture. Um, what is this legit? <laughs> Cause I've never it seen doesn't this. doesn't even look like a real, like it looks like an artist rendering or something. Doesn't it? It says a view of the waterfall seen at the jewel complex of Singapore's Changi Airport in March 2020. A video of highlighting the jewel complex has gone viral on TikTok. It's a Getty image. The footage begins with an image of what looks like an elevated tramway car traveling across a jungle forest type setting. This looks like a game called Ark, where it's basically you're in a big dome and there's dinosaurs running around and you're trying to catch them all. It's it's like a dinosaur Pokemon. Um, and oh, it's, like it's a, a survival. <laughs> it's a survival base building game um, that just got remastered. But this is amazing. This does not look like an airport. No. And so it says the latest post comes as air travel continues to see strong growth in the post COVID-19 pandemic era. Globally air traffic, it was reported to be at 96.1% of uh, May, 2019 levels. So I guess everything is picking back up, but Chingy was named this year's airport of the year in the annual world airport awards by Skytrax based on customer surveys of over 550 airports across the globe. And if that's, what I have to walk around in, I can see why. Well, right. I mean, I don't think most airports are even in the running compared to that. I feel like this is, I'm being punked. Let me throw this article. I feel like this is from a TV show, not, a, not reality. Right. So I don't know. The due diligence phase of me posting this article and talking about it comes after the show now. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go and look around at this. Because uh, I can't do a search right now. Not even, I'm not going to uh, do it right now during the show, but it's just surreal. Look at that. That's just amazing. Okay, let me keep going. Uh, the next article is kind of botched, uh, but I will fix it in post. So we're going to go straight on over to the source. Um, this is at um, businessinsider.com. Uh, Japan's farmers are getting too old to work the land. 5G-powered smart tech is doing the heavy lifting for them. Bella Sayeg, I guess, is their last name. Um, 
This is a 5G powered greenhouse in Japan that grows tomatoes. Uh, tomatoes take a long time to grow. So hydroponically, um, I have not broached this, but you get absolutely 100% recovery of the crop <laughs> as opposed to outside, outside of a greenhouse, outside of a hydroponic setting. Like if it's outdoor naturally, you're going to lose a bunch to bugs and stuff like that. But indoors, right. you get 100%, um, which is why I'm very, I'm a proponent of it. But the problem is that you lose the 24 hour, well, not 24 hour, you, you lose the free sun um, for much of it uh, when you go indoors. Um, but in a greenhouse, you're still getting it as long as you control everything. Um, hydroponically, though, it's even safer because, well, it depends on how you do it. Anyway, um, Japan's agriculture industry is being affected by an aging population and shrinking workforce. They're actually in long-term trouble right now. Um, in remote locations, 5G powered tech is helping farmers produce crops with support of experts. Private 5G is better for agriculture because it can cover rural areas more reliably. And the article is part of the 5G playbook, a series exploring one of the our time's most important tech innovations, which screams marketing. Um, but uh, every iteration of tech that empowers more people to take advantage of it, um, I think is good. So they talk about the 2020 census of agriculture and forestry found that between 2015 and 2020, the number of agriculture workers in Japan dropped by over 20%. That's staggering for five year. Uh, the remaining farm workers, almost 70% were 65 or older. I had a conversation with somebody in um, the automotive industry who said similar, um, that the people who are skilled labor in the automotive industry are aging out and robots are taking over. And those who are young um, that are getting into the field um, are having a tough time trying to find gigs, um, mainly because employers now see the benefit of using robotics. The only problem is it's hard to repair using a robot. So, um, quite fascinating. We're, we're and aging robots out. don't get sick or get Yeah, but they can't fix or... a carburetor. They can't fix right. fuel injectors. You know, they, they can't fix a computer. Um, you, uh, a Not human yet. has to fix it. It's too abstract. Oh God. Not yet. Prescient words from the sentient AI. So Japanese farmers are essentially are essential for producing major exports, such as rice, barley, wheat all of which are also in demand domestically. Farming technologies can make uh, farming easier and more efficient as the workforce changes. But here's the thing, you know, this whole article is going to be hyping up 5G and technology. Um, but what's going to end up happening is automation is going to come rolling through all of these greenhouse situations because they're going to uh, systematize the process of growing and then create technologies robots that will slide parallel to the crop and reach out with a little arm and pluck a tomato gently from the vine um, and do it, it over reminds and over me again. of the weed thing yeah exactly that's exactly what it is yeah 
Except that this time it's getting the good crop, particularly in a greenhouse setting because you don't have to worry about predators. Um, so robots powered by 5G also helped farmers remotely spray pesticides, cut grass, perform other physically demanding tasks that would otherwise be strenuous on the aging workforce. But what happens? They're aging out. But they're not talking about replacing them with humans. They're literally talking about aging them out and then replacing them with automation. So those jobs are going to disappear and there's going to be administrators of robots until the robots become the administrators of humans. Um, so I mean, it's a neat article to go through, um, but it says, you know, this is the future. It's going to be automation. It's going to be, you know, thousands of plants and then the two people sitting in a control room telling bots where to go. But they're not going to be the 65 year olds plus that are controlling the bots because ultimately biology is a liability to a corporation when it gets too old it starts to fail it becomes a tax on the bottom line you know retirement funding and all of that um so in several case study scenarios 5g technology has been deployed in chofu city ntt built fully automated greenhouses where farmers used 5g power technology such as smart glasses to control variables including temperature and humidity in the case study, the greenhouses reduced the burden on farmers and protected crops from extreme weather. So this is basically touting exactly what I say. They're actually doing it though. And um, ultimately though, I think that it's leading to the replacement of uh, human beings, reducing the need for humans, but the crop will still go to humans. Robots don't need tomatoes. Okay. They're messing out. Yeah, true. They're yummy. Um, a nice bruschetta. Um, okay, folks. So we've got one more article. Did you want to say anything about this, by the way? Um, I know Japan has some challenges with farmland. So I think a lot of their land might be rocky or not necessarily ideal for farming. So I just, I thought this was interesting that it showed the greenhouses, etc. Um, yeah. But I also think this problem is indicative, not just of other industries, but also probably of farmers in other countries, too. It's not necessarily an attractive occupation for a lot of younger workers. Yep. It's not going to make you rich. Not unless you're the owner of the farm and it's a high in demand crop. So, right. Yeah. I, I would, I have been thinking about wasabi in a hydroponic sense and um uh saffron hydroponically but both of those are oh and uh of course um mushrooms um but the mushrooms are like antithetical to hydroponics but the other two they're very very intense and timing intense and then energy has to be thrown at them and in a greenhouse you might get the sun but the conditions aren't necessarily right. Um, and in hydroponics, none of it really is conducive to those two crops. Um, mushrooms though, you can pretty much fall on your face and get a crop of mushrooms. Hopefully. <laughs> Watch, I try and spin up a mushroom farm and <laughs> I get tomatoes. 
Last article for today is in Technology Today. Would you drink genetically modified beer? A growing number of U.S. brewers are now using GM yeast to make their beers. What do you think? Well, okay, let's say it's the average beer drinker. I'm assuming they're going to go, it's a beer. <laughs> so they'll drink it. But okay, yeah. somebody who's actually concerned about GMO products... Yeah. I don't know. Because, like, it's one thing to eat GMO corn or something. That's not the best example. But the point is, you're getting, okay, let's say it's lettuce or something, but you're getting some nutritional value from that. Beer is kind of one of those things that you might want to have, but you don't need to have. Would you necessarily compound that by having GMO? products like to me that's less palatable than a gmo piece of lettuce or something kind of interesting right because at the end of the day would you even know does it even matter no you wouldn't know and that's the thing like are you told that or are you just having it like if you're just getting a beer right you just you enjoy it it's a beer yeah. i mean how many the Okay, so beer drinkers come in, I would probably say macro two flavors. The people that just want beer <laughs> and the people who are introspective of that beer. So they sit there and they parse the data and they look at, you know, uh, what hops are used and what yeast is used and what the ratio is for the mill and all of that. Um, but they're talking about, quote, we are interested in toggling up the desirable flavors and toggling down not so great flavors and generating new flavors. The article is over at bbc.co.uk, uh, written by David Silverberg. Um, there's a picture in here. It says uh, Charles Denby and colleagues tasting beers made with his firm's yeast strains. And so they look like they're having a good old time, but maybe it's the genetically modified yeast causing them to have the giggles. Um, you know, because of course, genetically modified stuff, um, affects you, right. And your behavior and you like grow a tail and all of that. No, I don't think so. Let's no. not put that out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Um, I might've misunderstood some of the data that I have not seen because I've never seen anything that might imply that not from a respectable location. Anyway, for millions and millions of logger and ale fans out there. These sentiments all sound great, but when you know what Mr. Denby's U.S. company actually does, things become a bit more divisive. He's the co-founder and chief executive of Berkeley Yeast, one of the leading creators of genetically modified yeast for the brewing industry. And yeast is central to brewing because it turns sugars provided by barley and malt, or sorry, barley malt and other grains into alcohol while also adding its own flavors. Yeah, um, the same thing that happens with bread, that yeasty flavor stays even though it's converting sugars, turning into toots, uh, making little bubbles in your bread. That's right, yeast toots. Impart flavor. Mm, 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 mm. You'll never you might look be at... turning our listeners away from eating bread. <laughs> yeah, you'll never look at bread the same way again. Um, Anyway, Berkeley Yeast edits the DNA of yeast strains to remove or add a certain gene. One of its products, its Tropics Yeast, has been tweaked to provide the taste of passion fruit and guava. 
By the way, tropical hops are the number one hop nowadays. Um, there's a certain breed of hop that is the fruity flavor, um, like passion fruit and guava, um, and that's and pineapple and things like that. And that's what is there's a whole ebb and flow of hops out there. Um, and right now those fruity flavors are what everybody is digging. So Mr. Danby says that it, this yeast is more reliable for beer manufacturers than requiring a supply of these fruits and better than using artificial flavors. True. Um, and the fruits aren't shelf stable, so they go bad. Um, and you don't want that. And if you freeze it, then it turns into mush and it loses some of its nutritional value and its effectiveness. So, and it can contaminate the beer. So you need it clean. At some point it has to be pure. Otherwise you have problems. So would you buy and drink genetically modified beer? I don't know. There's a lot more in this article, by the way. They talk about using a gene editing technology called CRISPR-Cas9, which is what we have been talking about um, week after week, sometimes, because it keeps popping up. Uh, the researchers were able to delete this gene from haze-positive yeast strains. As a result, the beers fermented with them no longer were hazy, so you no longer have to filter. Ian Godwin, a professor of crop science and director of the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation, says the U.S. brewers using gene-edited yeast in their products is a secret everyone in the industry knows about. Yet he adds that beer makers will rarely promote the fact due to the negative headlines GM technology has received so far. I'm sure Germany is collectively losing sleep because they have beer purity laws. <clears throat> oh, I see. Um, which have flexed a little bit, but still the, the basics hold true that you're not supposed to be doing anything like this. Um, at Lag United's um, brewery, a California-based company owned by Dutch giant Heineken, its brewmaster Jeremy Marshall says that while they don't yet have plans to use GM yeast, they've been conducting trials. So guess what? I bet you it's coming as soon as it's more cost effective than using. If the cost benefit analysis says that um, Lagunitis selling the beer at this price point in demand, causing it to fly off the shelves because the yeast has led to somebody while well, the population loving it, off it goes, they'll start using it. And they do tasting samples either in their lab or in short runs. And they tell people, hey, this is a, a new blah, blah, blah. If there is no law that says you have to disclose that it's GM. Right. They won't. Which I thought there was in the U.S., but maybe that's for food. Um... Certain foods, not all. Um, because you can't blanket like that. You can't make everybody have to disclose all of their genetically modified whatever, because then people won't give the politicians money. You have to capture the regulators. At Carlsberg, one of the largest beer companies in the world, it has long instituted a no GM policy in the development of its brewing ingredients, barley, hops, and yeast, and how it's cra how it crafts its beers. So, yeah, 
I mean, I get it. Some people will like it. Some people won't. Um, but there is a long history of genetic modification in various products and zero evidence that it has led to any harm in humans. The, the genetically modified crops have not led to any harm in humans, but genetically modified rice has led to uh, golden rice, which has um, kept people from going blind because the genetically modified rice has the right nutrient for people um, in various regions. I'll just put it that way. I mean, that's definitely a positive. Yeah. And, and this uh, broccoli tastes a little different because it's been tweaked. Um, Brussels sprouts, they have been massaged into being sweeter. Now, was it genetically modified or was it just natural um, selection in a laboratory that, you know, kind of pointed them into a direction? 35 years ago, folks, the Brussels sprouts you ate were bitter and nobody liked them. And when mom said you had to eat them, you decided that you were going to hate your mother for the rest of your life. Nowadays, though, Brussels sprouts are sweeter and and more approachable to the masses, and it's because they've been massaged into being better tasting. Um, so I suppose eventually we will have yeast that imparts so much flavor that people will start embracing it. Except for the beer purity people. So I don't think it'll ever cause any harm, though. That's it, folks. Ta-da! I forgot that was the last article for today. That was the last article for today. And all of them made it into the VOD, so into the chat. Wow. So if you're in chat, thank you very much for coming and hanging out. Really do appreciate it. We're going to get back into the party bus, drive all the way back down Main Street, click on that logo that says Town, because if you're here, you're home. And we get a whole bunch of articles, a whole bunch of new articles, Oh no, guess what? It was the Apple presentation that started at 8 p.m. And now I'm gonna go watch it. Um, so yeah, the show might be delayed a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, um, we'll talk about this By tomorrow. By the way, the Apple store was down just before the keynote. Yeah, they always do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, they take it offline so that people can't purchase things and it doesn't get flooded and stuff um, with no changes. And then they put up the new changes all at once and ta-da. Um, but they, that's part of the surprise. Um, other than that, um, we'll end up probably talking about that. See, it says Apple's online store is down ahead of scary fast Mac event. That was actually playing next to me on my TV and uh, I didn't get to see a single little bit of it. So, oh man, Apple Silicon has arrived with M3s. This thing, it's getting faster and faster year over year. I am standing here beside myself. Okay, that's it folks. I am Watch. that is hometown.com. That's a whole page of Apple news. And that up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI who's gonna say, oh, bye bye. Good night, I'm down citizens. Bye-bye.
<laughs> uh, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Bye, everybody. Why didn't you run?